Welcome to Your Brain On. I'm Krista Gerhard. And I'm Karen Foster. Karen, last time we talked about the myth of learning styles. Today, we're going to continue that conversation on myths. And we're going to do one that we all know very well. The myth of multitasking. Oh, I know that one well. Yep. All right, let's dive in. A new myth that has come about quite often, um, one that we, we see on a daily basis, especially now in the times of virtual meetings, mm-hmm. when we are all chained to our desks and consistently on Zoom calls, uh, we have the, the bad behavior at times mm-hmm. of doing what we like to call multitasking. Mm, Um, So trying to engage somebody on a conference call while also responding to an email, while also tending to the kids in the background, while potentially, um, you know, looking over a document. So we are, we, we all are sort of victim to this and um, just kind of curious your thoughts with regards to the myth on whether or not we're able to actually multitask and how good we are at it. Yeah, this is one of my favorites uh, because similar to learning styles, right? We all, we have our experiences in life where we do two things at once efficiently, right? Um, You know, we, uh, you know, I would think of a lot of us, those that are very, you know, 20 years in drivers, we drive and we've all had that circumstance where we're driving and driving and driving and then we get somewhere and we're like, oh my God, I don't even remember how I got here, right? We've automated it, right? Um, so we do two things at once. We walk and chew gum. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here breathing and talking at the same time. Um, so that's why multitasking sort of resonates kind of similarly as learning styles do, because it seems intuitive. It seems to make sense that I can do more than one thing at a time. And yes, that, that is accurate to some extent. Where the caveat comes in and the the loophole is what two things are you trying to do at the same time, right? So if the two tasks are not automated and require cognitive processing, it's a one or the other switch, right? Thinking of texting and driving, unfortunately, you know, that that idea that we can do both of those things at the same time is, is basically incorrect. Uh, you know, plenty of research online people can Google for, um, you know, studies that have shown, you know, reduction in response times uh, when people are texting and driving. And why is that? Is because both of those two tasks typically require um, non-automated cognitive processes. So you're actually using your brain's um, uh, memory and uh, processes during both of those tasks. So you have to basically switch between them. So multitasking really appropriately phrased in that in two tasks that are cognitively demanding should be called rapid switching, which is what more of the literature is adopting now. I think that's a great caveat. I mean, I know in my household, we often have arguments between my husband and myself on whether or not who is, you know, who's the better multitasker. And um, I would say, research would also show within my particular household that while sending emails and listening to my husband, I have failed to ultimately hear what he Mm -hmm. was saying. Mm -hmm. Thus, while I may have been rapidly switching, I was probably not doing one of those tasks 
effectively. Yes. And that's also what research has found. So when people do rapidly switch, you, you lose uh, uh, efficiency in both tasks. So um, there's uh, various fun little psychological dinner type conversations or games that our learners and listeners could play with their spouse or significant other that illustrates this very clearly uh, in the sense that, you know, by being on email and then switching to hearing your husband or spouse uh, partner and then switching back, both the email composition or processing um, uh, as well as the listening processing will both uh, be less efficient than if you dedicated full cognitive resources to do email for 10 minutes and then stopped and said, okay, let's talk about what we're going to have for dinner tonight and did 10 minutes of that. The two outcomes for the 20 minutes, a much better use of time than spending 20 minutes switching between both rapidly. So your, mm-hmm. your, your result is going to be, you know, if you invest 10 minutes and 10 minutes in chunks, which chunking is another concept of, of learning and information processing we advocate at Salience, you'll have better results. Absolutely. So that's a great um, segue into my next question, which is really around trying to prevent the art of rapidly switching or multitasking in virtual learning. So I think we've mm-hmm. seen it a lot right now mm-hmm. um, where we try to encourage our learners to be on camera so you can pick up visual cues to determine if people are trying to multitask or rapidly switch. Mm-hmm. Um, but what other potential mm. techniques can we you know, offer our listeners today that kind of help to mm-hmm. prevent that um, tendency for the learner to want to multitask while in a learning engagement? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And my first response is, you know, if, if, a, if a trainer or facilitator or adult educator takes the approach of adult learning principles and designs material the way that adults like to learn material, it, then the, multi, the risk of multitasking will decrease, right? Because it's our job as, as learning designers and strategists to create that environment and the structure of a, of a lesson that brings people into it, right? Um, that isn't a straight didactic lecture for 45 minutes, right? Um, so if one takes the broader approach of applying adult learning principles and design elements, then you're already crafting an environment where multitasking will not be as um, pervasive um, and the other thing, too, is also to, to treat adults like adults, right? That's, that's the challenge. And look, we all know that there's business objectives and or compliance or regulatory objectives that have to be sort of met. But as you know, there's great opportunities facilitating that type of learning that can really acknowledge, right, the, the adult element. Um, uh, and that will help minimize. I know those are kind of broader suggestions, but we can talk more specific ones as well. No, I think that they're all great suggestions, especially um, it's a question we get asked often, right? And I think what I'm hearing is there's, mm-hmm. there's key components here of incorporating adult learning principles, setting expectations, Obviously, there's always tips and tricks from a virtual facilitation perspective as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what I heard most was the design, right? If you you go too long in a didactic situation, you are going to run the risk of multitasking. So if you are aware of these things, you can design to prevent them. So 
Yep, um, exactly. I mean, giving the learners breadcrumbs and structure of your, even if you have to do a 45 minute didactic presentation, um, for some reason, that's just how the stakeholders have want it. You know, give the learners like I, I use. I think of the the uh, virtual video workout videos I've been using on on YouTube. Right, they have the a series of ten dots on the right hand side of the screen, and after every you know exercise, you the dot changes color. Right, so you're seeing progress right through the forty minutes of video. You know, you're like okay, I'm on the first exercise, and then the next one, you're like, oh, I see that dot. Right, it's a bit of that encouragement. You could do something just as simple as that on all those 45 minutes of medical slides, right? Giving people the idea that, look, we're, we're on a journey, we're getting there, um, you know, acknowledging that they are active, you know, an active element and have agency, right? I think that's the biggest thing is when we neglect that adults have agency uh, and we sort of forget that they have a choice, right, in multitasking is when we sort of set ourselves up, unfortunately, to foster the environment of multitasking. And I think it's been um, having that that context has actually been helpful in the way that we um, educate our stakeholders, right? So there is a sense when we're trying to deliver training and there's a lot of information or content that the the stakeholder may want to control the delivery of it. And by controlling the delivery of it, they may want a significantly longer portion of time. I think educating them to sort of these risks can also help foster or make your argument for the design a bit more credible or resonate more because they will understand that situation. They've been in those shoes, right? They've sat in a seat where the presentation went too long and their, their attention drifted. Mm-hmm. But to your point, if they're given the right cues, if the information is chunked, you're going to have more effective um, you know, absorption of information than you would if you were to try to control a, the delivery of information for a longer period of time. So I think these are mm-hmm. all good nuggets, too, just thinking about you know, delivering the design to our stakeholders who may not be learning and development professionals. How do we deliver that? How do we educate others yeah. on why we've made the design choices we have? Because of the potential impact it has on, on the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you make a great point of, of anchoring it back to, hey, you know, stakeholder X who wants to deliver content for an hour didactically, you know, think of the last time you were in an hour long meeting, you know, how many times did you check your email? How many times did you, you know, drift off and think of the bills or the dinner or the kids soccer practice, right? Um, and, you know, acknowledging that and saying, look, there are proven ways we can combat that, right? And there's ways that can ensure that your message, stakeholder X, is salient, right? It is absorbed, it is retained. Um, And it's sort of like magic tricks, right? All magic and clairvoyance really is, is using the brain's, uh, you know, recognize limitations against itself, right? I mean, no, no offense to those who believe in magic, but like the coin doesn't really appear out of your ear. It's a trick of perception. So in the same sense that, you know, magicians craft their art out of, you know, using constraints like attention um, uh, and the pr- propensity for people to multitask, we as learning instructional designers can do the same thing. Interesting. So I can swipe your wallet without you knowing it, and you'll also learn something at the end of the day. Amen. Yes. All right. Okay. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Brain On. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Krista Gerhardt. And I'm Karen Foster. And we'll see you next time.